Hey there and welcome to the 17X podcast series where we chat with amazing people from all over the world on how they are using their business to create outcomes aligned with the sustainable development goals. We hear from entrepreneurs, social innovators and change makers and everyday business owners using their business and brands as a source for good. So sit back, get inspired with me as we hear from these amazing people telling their story of purpose and impact. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Chatting with Mariel from Full Circle Fibers today about how she's using her circular economy-based business to impact the fashion industry from the supply chain end. Um, obviously looking at responsible consumption and production, but also how that trickles down into things like slave labor and equality all over the world. It's a fascinating conversation with an expert in her field and an entrepreneur that's based here in Australia that's doing amazing things here in, the, in our country, but also all over the globe. So sit back and enjoy the show, and don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening. Thank you. Hey, welcome back to the show. Today we are chatting with one of our 17X speakers from our Brisbane event, Mariel Chamberlain from Full Circle Fibers. Hello. Hi, how are you going, Mick? I am awesome. We finally did it. We got you on the show. It's <laughs> <laughs> a sign of a busy operator, hey? <laughs> now, where do we find you today? Are you in your office? Are you at home? Uh, they're one and the same. Okay, cool. In, uh, and you're in Brisbane, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Brisbane. Yep. Awesome. Um, so the way I love to start this is a little bit of an icebreaker. Um, so we're, uh, what are we now, like 40-something days away from Christmas. So 2019 is, is passing us very quickly. Um, what's been the highlight for you this year so far, personal, professional, anything? Um, Yes, that's a, that's a big one. Uh, there's been, been an awful lot of things that have happened this year. I think uh, it's, it's been getting traction and understanding of what I'm doing and some feedback from, and it's not just about the principles about what I'm doing, but also people loving the quality of products that are produced. Because doing all this if the products aren't great. Um, and finding some really awesome collaboration opportunities as well, which is really exciting because... Um, one of the things that's clear to me, I'll say that again, shall I? One of the things that's become clear to me is uh, having worked in production and supply chain for 20 years, I am one of an absolute host of people who really, really, really want to use their skills well rather than just in the race to the bottom, which is the sort of commercial imperative. And so finding that connection in people in their different walks of lives and supply chain of textiles and clothing and feeling less alone, less like a lone ranger has been really awesome. Yeah, great. Is there any, uh, any particular collaboration this year that stood out for you? Yeah, it's actually coming up for me in two weeks. So I'm participating in Raw Assembly, which is a sustainable fabric and yarn sourcing fair. Raw Assembly has been brought to Australia by the most amazing woman, Thea Speechley, who, like me, has decades of industry experience. She's been in Asia for a couple of decades. And we want to make it possible for designers and buyers to connect with high-quality ethical supply chains and take away the reasons for not doing better. And, and she has brought a global network of opportunity to Australia, and we're participating, speaking, and sharing our story with that. So... It's very exciting to be part of that in Melbourne and then they'll be again in Sydney in March next year. Yeah, great. Uh, when's the Melbourne event? Uh, 28th, 29th at Deakin Edge and rawassembly.com. You can find your way. 
Cool. There you go. Anyone in Melbourne, get along, check it out. Um, we, I've seen Muriel speak and she's epic. So, um, so um, before we get into what Full Circle Fibers is all about, um, can you tell us a bit about yourself? You know, where have you been in your career? What brought you through to where you are now? Well, um, I just have grown up as one of those people that loves making stuff. Literally from when I was a kid, I wanted to make clothes to my toys, not just play with my toys, and just raided all my family's stash of fabrics and yarns and things. So I was really nerdy. Um, I liked the idea of design, but I was never that good at it. And if, if you're going to make it in design, you need to be brilliant. But um, I'm all right at the maths and science. So I ended up finding that it's possible to study that. And I did a degree in textile science and engineering in Manchester in the UK, which has been the best thing. I was fortunate enough to study something that I absolutely love and I still work in the field that I studied. So uh, that's a privilege, really. Um, and so then my first two jobs were with massive global companies that are really quality and ethically led. And I got to work with and learn from some amazing people a couple of decades older than me, uh, uh, Marks and Spencer in the UK and then Gore-Tex. Uh, and then from there, I married an Australian and moved to Brisbane, centre of the textile <laughs> universe. <laughs> yeah, right. So you left probably the fashion world, of, the fashion capital of the world in Europe and you, you ended up in Brisbane. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's funny because it's fabulous. It's the, best, it's the easiest place to live on the planet, I think. Yeah, and sure. It's a place to have a family. And I then actually worked for Dryzerbone, an iconic Aussie brand. Nice. And that's where I got to learn everything else because when you work for a really big company you get get the chance to specialize you get the chance to work on all sorts of really nerdy technical things but you don't work broadly so once you've worked with a smaller business you get to see everything you get to see the impact of cash flow you, you get to deal with all those small and medium-sized business things that means you know you can have the best product in the world but if it doesn't stack up numerically for the business then you're not delivering or if you haven't got enough money to pay the wages at the end of the week then that's what really matters so so actually and it was a fabulous team to be part of so that's actually what I first did when I was here and that's how I got to really stand in the shoes now of what my customers did yeah terrific and um and so then what brought you into full circle fibers um so after I had children children in supply chain management don't really mix that <laughs> time Thing. Yeah, sure. Uh, and, I, and I also knew that much as I would see opportunities come up, I just couldn't bring myself to just bring in stuff from no-name supply chains and offshore. I just I couldn't felt like it was selling my soul. Uh, I did a bit of consulting, got to meet a lot of local businesses here through the industry association, and I just am passionate about local industry, local manufacturing, and realised that there was no one connecting up the dots to our cotton growers. Um, and realised that if I didn't do it, no one else was going to, so I had to step up and try. Yeah, and sure. That's how it so, um, yeah, I guess great segue into what is Full Circle Fibers? Tell us what's the business so, model, what do you guys do? So we did what everybody said was impossible. Um, we connect to one farmer in St George in southwest Queensland, and it's absolute serendipity that I was introduced to Glenn Rogan and his daughter Rebecca Lindet from Australian Super Cotton. Uh, Glenn is possibly one of the most entrepreneurial, forward-thinking cotton growers in the country, and he already had trademarked his fibre and was passionate about super high quality. Um, and he'd been looking for ways to get his product 
to market as a single origin. So what happens normally with Australian cotton is it's sold on the commodity market and it's blended with cotton from all over the world in the main supply chains of Asia and in the high quality ones because Australia grows really high quality cotton. Uh, so it's a bit like Johnny Walker, if you like. It's blended. Mm-hmm. Whereas we wanted to create single malt. Sure. So that's all we've done. And then to do that as well, fully traceable, I basically thought, well, I know how I want to work with a supply chain. I know what I want from a product. So I want to know every stage and I want to know where that is and that I can talk to those factories directly. And so we looked to set that up using factories in Australia. And when you work like this in Australia, locals actually national because we're a bit spread out because we're a small population. And so it took us a while to connect the dots, but we did. And we spun, wove, knit and dyed here in Australia and created our first fabrics where we could say every stage is this. Yeah. So um, that very much there, the mechanics. Tell me a bit more about the purpose of Full Circle Fibers. Like, why, why do you guys exist in the way that you do? To prove that you don't have to have exploitation in the supply chain to deliver a product. The textile industry is notorious, really notorious for opacity. Uh, it's huge, which means unless you are huge, you have no buying power to actually really know beyond where your garment's made. If you're doing really well, you might know where the fabric's made, but to know where the yarns come from or the fibres come from or where the dye was made or where that was done, it's really hard. It's really hard on small brands. And it's actually quite hard on mid-sized brands here in Australia because they're not huge in global. Yeah. All right. So clearly your business model is end-to-end in terms of tracking the sustainability and, you know, we know where the products are going and where they've come from. Um, what do you think has been the biggest challenge for you in making that happen? Uh, one of the critical stages, the spinning. Um, so spinning is when you go from the fibre, the loose fibre, to making a yarn. So think about what you might knit with or something really skinny version of that that goes into a T-shirt fabric, for example. That is the stage that's hard to come by and the last mill here closed two years ago in Australia that could do cotton commercially, which we knew was coming and we prepared for it. We put quite a few tons through to sort of back ourselves while we sorted out the alternative. And literally that meant I got on a plane to the UK and knocked on the door of a brand new mill there and said, will you spin our cotton please? <laughs> sure. But yeah, you know, as you do, and you just think, and you know, who are you? Oh. I'm just somebody who's a textile scientist who lives at home with her family and wants to create a supply chain. Um, But it was quite funny because I remember being sat there and he said, so how much do you want to spin? And I could see he was thinking, you know, you have a couple of hundred kilos, which is not viable. I said, oh, we'll be sending a container. And he was like, oh, right, you're serious. And I went, yeah, I'm serious. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I've just flown from Brisbane. I'm pretty serious. (laughs) And um, and, uh, that's, absolutely been possible because of working with my grower who's also been wanting to do this too so we've worked together and he's he's been wanting to do this too uh so yeah that was really exciting and actually the one thing that i can say with every door that's been in our face or wall that seemed insurmountable or thing that didn't go to plan is every time we end an alternative it's actually opened up more exciting opportunities as a result of that first thing not working and this is a classic example because the last mill here was overseas owned. They basically, their main customer was mop heads. So it was really low grade spinning, there's two kinds. Yeah. And we put the best fiber in the country through that because it was all that was here and created great product. 
but now we're using a brand new high-end best practice mill that's made the fiber sing in ways we couldn't do before so sure. it's actually a whole load of product development opportunities which are really really exciting and takes the opportunity to be a more luxury product to a whole new level so yeah you know what seems like it's not going to be a good thing actually might turn out to be a blessing which is fabulous yeah i think you know um, a lot of our listeners for this podcast are SMEs, uh, and I, I feel there's, there's just such a great lesson in, in what you just said around, you know, as one door closes, uh, it, it does force you to, to A, create, B, research, and, and C, yeah. just get out there and make it happen kind of yeah. thing around finding a better solution and what that may open up you know, for later down the track. We always get stressed and anxious when the door's shut, but then how do we turn that into an opportunity? You know, there's so much to learn from that. And the thing is, it's not like that next door might be right next door to it. You actually might find yourself in a maze. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Innovation <laughs> under stress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, nothing drives innovation like necessity. But and it's, you know, people say, oh my God, what's the carbon cost of that? And I'm like, well, the carbon cost of a container from Brisbane to Manchester is less than the carbon cost of a truck from Brisbane to Melbourne. <laughs> yeah wow yeah okay cool yeah. i love it Fine. i love but, it you know so yeah sure I, yeah and i think you know that it's interesting there's definitely a benefit to having you know years of industry experience behind you mm. to sort of think if products you know products and supply chains and, and brands and labels they actually rise and fall on understanding logistics yeah, it's sure. a brilliant product, but if you mess up logistics, you can be bankrupt very quickly. Um, no. <laughs> so did your love of, you know, or I guess, you know, there, there seems to be not so much a love, but it's, it's like an ingrained passion around sustainable supply chain. Um, did that, was there a particular aha moment for you in your early career that made you want to get out of, you know, yes. what traditionally isn't a very sustainable industry and, and try and force that change? Uh, except it was before I even got into the industry. I grew up, you know, with a sort of waste not want not mentality of everything was saved. You know, it was my mum was a primary teacher, so everything was a craft commodity or you know, <laughs> nice. everything, yeah, everything that was recyclable was sorted for recycling. Grew our own veggies, all that stuff. Uh, so in that sense, that sort of hardwired materials thinking has been there from the beginning that everything has a value and shouldn't be wasted. Uh, and then I actually remember at about the age of 11 having been hardwired to a hairspray Diana style fringe in the 80s, frightening as that is. Nice. Um, the, the news about the ozone layer and the CFCs. Yeah. And I remember it, it was like a road to Damascus moment. It was just like, oh my God, I was 11. And so all the way through, even when I was studying at uni and, and wanting to be in this industry, I just had this sense that I knew that I wouldn't be able to do anything useful until I had experience behind me. And I didn't quite know what I was building all this experience for, but I knew that at one point there would be obvious what to do with it all. And that's essentially what's happened. So, um, yeah, I think it, it's, you know, lots of people come to this space and come to the space of, Oh, I want to create sustainable fashion or sustainable garments and this, that and the other. And I, I had a conversation a few weeks ago with someone who, exactly that studying journalism knows nothing about the industry and you're like okay that's good intention and then you ask them a whole load of questions and oh oh do you, you know there's just all this stuff they don't know because they don't know hmm. and i think because our clothing has become so cheap and has become so available 
we take it for granted that it just arrives. <laughs> yeah. But actually, yeah, sure. there's a whole load of industrial processes behind it, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. and expertise to do it well that is out of sight and out of mind because so much of it does happen overseas that people just assume it arrives and it always will. Yeah, sure. That's right. It's, yeah. I, I remember um, I had a conversation on this podcast a few episodes ago with um, uh, Sally Townsend from Outland Denim here in Mount yeah. Tambourine and said a similar, very similar thing in terms of this, that out of sight, out of mind thing that, that we don't realise what's happening in the supply chains. So, um, yeah. And, 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 you know, they, 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 what they do is amazing and what they've discovered in their process as well because they, they come at it with fresh eyes, which is great because it means you're not bound by, well, this is what we've always done. Mm. But you also realise, oh, we're just going to try this. And you go, mm. but here's the zigzag. Yeah, you sure, know? sure. And also what happens is when you get, you get that alchemy of people with this real intent like Outland, and then people who do know the industry and go, oh, I know what you're trying to do, but actually here's the way. Yeah. We'll get there. Sometimes quicker. That's when we get real wins and that's when I get really excited actually when you meet other people to do that with. Yeah, sure. Um, we were chatting uh, before, we, before we kicked off uh, offline about this prevention versus cure mentality or approach mm-hmm. to, you know, sustainability and um, to tap into your expertise there, I mean, obviously a lot of full circle fibers is in that prevention space around creating things from the get go in the right way. Um, but you, you've, you know, meant touched on around still the need for focus on recycling and upcycling and how we reuse what's already out there. Um, can you explain to us a bit more about that? Yeah, so one of the things at the moment, and thankfully, um, sustainability seems to be the only trend in fashion, which is a really good thing. But we've got these really competing forces because business and industry is still set up to sort of go for growth no matter what. And the churn and turnover is how business success is measured. So you can see that in some quarters, there's this sense that, well, that's all right, we're just going to have the tech to recycle it. But the sort of energy and engineering involved in that, even for the stuff that's currently possible and works is really onerous and really difficult logistically and it's difficult to create something high value whereas if we just make stuff really really well that we don't need to buy as much like 10 percent of it or five percent of it like there's 95 million tons of textiles used every year and 92 million tons go to landfill and something like 100 billion garments well there's only nine billion of us so something somewhere is going horribly wrong and so this idea that if we go back to make it really well to start with and design with the end in mind, well, we'll be able to recycle that more easily because we've, say, made it 100% cotton or made it 100% nylon or whatever it is. If we've got that one thing that lasts a lot longer, we're just, we're just using less energy in the chain of this crazy chase and we just slow it down and then, yeah, create that value. And the other thing is that there's this perception with recycling technology that, oh, well, it's all right, we can regenerate the cellulose, we'll use the offcuts and we'll make viscose, uh, et cetera, which is the process used to make bamboo fiber. But none of that's as strong as cotton. Mm-hmm. Cotton is the strongest. So if you're looking at the best way to have a towel that lasts as long as possible in hotel linen or hospitals or something like that, you wouldn't make it from anything other than cotton. Mm-hmm. It just naturally is the best. And the Swedish EPA have said that, and they're not a cotton-growing country, so I'll take it from a sort of, you know, 
not just people that have a vested interest in saying that. It, it naturally is really good. And when we use natural fibres, if you've got no path to recycling, then at least you can bury it or compost it. Um, yeah, and sure. we don't share microplastic. So there's a lot of people looking for ways to do the right thing, but I think we try to look for the most complicated thing first sometimes mm. rather than the simplest. And actually the simplest things are where we're going to get the quick wins. Yeah, sure. Um, one of my uh, uh, main questions that I wanted to ask you was around the industry in general. You know, you've been in the industry for a long time. I've actually, through creating 17, the events and this podcast, I've actually come across quite a few people in the fashion game looking to change things. One of our speakers at our Melbourne event is Edda Hamar, who runs Undress Runways. Um, she's doing some fantastic stuff. And... Uh, it seems to be that there are still some real major challenges with the industry in general um, that are relatable across the board to other industries. Um, you mentioned greenwashing to me earlier. Um, you know, what do you see uh, for the next, say, two or three years in your industry? What are the main challenges that, that you guys need to try and address? Um, we've, we've got the... The good thing to start with is that we've now got a lot of good intent, which is really cool. So people like Edda, everybody, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of work going on in upcycling and repair and secondhand and secondhand is growing at a crazy pace, which is nothing but exciting. You know, it, it's wonderful. Um, but we also need to look beyond that. And that's one of the big challenges because a lot of people seem to have this, we just need to buy nothing new, which seems to make a lot of sense as a consumer and certainly for non-essential items. But we still need to keep our industries going because we have to make our essentials. We need to clothe our firefighters. We need to, um, you know, be able to make in a bowler suit. We do need to clothe our soldiers and all this kind of stuff. And, and we do need to understand that and have capability ourselves. The globe is a fast-changing place and not, not just because of risk from sort of politics, but also just if we start levelling up the supply chain and paying people properly, then the level playing field means it's more viable to do it here. So we want to maintain our skills. Um, and I think we disconnect sometimes some of the opportunities with that pile of second-hand clothes that we want to do something with and then disconnect from the fact that we actually need to think what does industry look like in 20 years mm. and to make sure we keep those skills so that if you stop using industry, then it won't exist and then once we've used up all that stuff as best we can, then what? So it, it's really so it's sort of complex levels of strategy required to think past yeah. our current mess. But the biggest is the education in design because it actually means we need to get a bit nerdy and we all need to understand the science of what our different products are made of. And fashion's one of them, but you look at the problem of e-waste and it's exactly the same. You've got products that are very difficult to dissemble. Whereas if we think of design for disassembly, we make all those recycling industries that are sort of beginning to come a heck of a lot more viable because the feedstocks are easier to identify and sort. Yeah. So it's sort of like critical industrial design thinking for everyone. <laughs> yeah, sure. And I love what, you know, um, with, with reference to innovation there about looking at, yeah, what, what does, it's not how do I innovate for my industry right now how do I innovate for my industry right now, but also thinking of how is the industry itself innovating in the next 20 years, obviously with tech and everything that's changing, um, and what does it look like in 20 years that I can start from now? Yeah. And I think there's great lessons for anyone looking to bring innovation into their space, particularly with engaging with the global goals or 
or particular outcomes or purpose or passion that they want to engage with um, is, yeah, not, not so much just about how do I innovate for right now, but how do I innovate for now that then is malleable to change with the next 20 years. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of that innovation will come in how we do economics. Really. Yeah, um, sure. Right now, we've got this really classic system that's sort of the linear, make it cheap, make it quick, throw it away. Like, you sort of have this sort of horrible toxic mix that that is required by how we measure success economically, mm. by the way those few very fine, met, you know, narrow metrics really you know, and I think of all those tons of, not just the tons of garments after we've used them, but the ones that are all overbuys to start with. And it's like, well, if we spent the same amount of money, but made half as much stuff and didn't have the waste and paid everybody twice as much to do it or had a better quality, we'd still have the same money in the system and we have less waste. Sure. But that, that means we need the accountants on board and, you know, our success so that, making really smart materials decisions are in collaboration rather than in combat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I feel like um, yours is an industry that, that will find some drastic innovation in that exact area as the millennials come through into the positions yeah. of power. Yeah. Um, you know, I've said that for a few different industries and I think that, you know, obviously at these big business that you're tackling, there's probably still a lot of pasty white old men sitting on the board looking for looking for P and Ls and bottom lines and not really caring. Whereas once the millennials and you know more women and young women and young men get into those spaces that have grown up with this in the forefront, um, you'll start to see some drastic changes. Hopefully, yeah, so. and some of them really aren't aren't difficult. But it's one of those things, and it struck me from our seventeen x my colleagues on stage with me sure. is. We, I think we have to be really careful about this business of measuring impact because we could fall into exactly the same trap of chasing the impacts that are easy to measure. Yeah, Some sure. of the businesses I know that are doing what I would consider the best as far as their supply chain sustainability are what you might call mid-level brands here in Australia and they're not shouting about what they're doing at all because what they're doing is basic good supply chain practice which builds out waste. So it, mm. it doesn't give you a particular headline thing or a particular mm. headline specification. But they've got really long-term interdependent relationships with their suppliers. They've got a tight group of suppliers, and it means they're not doing this jumping around for 10 cents saving here or dollar saving there. But what that means is you've got those trust relationships that I mean all the waste, all the contingencies have to drop because you know your supplier is going to do what you ask. So you don't build in as many contingencies as far as stock. Or you know you've got that relationship that somebody picks up the phone if something goes wrong and you work through it rather than just going, right, it's all rejected and it's waste. Or uh, you just, you've got those relationships meaning everybody cares about the quality because they know they're going to be valued for delivering well as opposed to the minute the C-suite go, ah, you need more margin, you're just going to leave them high and dry and go somewhere cheaper. And it's actually all of that nuance of just genuine good business, good manners, <laughs> Stuff that's actually just a nice way to work with people yeah. that actually deliver. But but it's really hard to sort of celebrate and report that. You know, we just do things well. We just treat our suppliers with respect because yeah, we know sure. we all need each other. But that doesn't look as shiny as a certification yeah. to something or whatever mm. or I don't know. So it it's actually I think it's one of the things that's the biggest challenge is a lot of the, the sort of quiet achievers 
that are maybe doing more than the ones that are shouting about what they do because it's a nice Instagram post. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's almost like uh, the quieter ones are, when, if you were to ask them about it, 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 they're like, well, there's no other way to do it. This is just, it's like, this is just normal for us. You know, this is yeah. just how, isn't and, this and what good business looks like? <laughs> yeah, and they might have been doing it for a decade. I yeah. ran a business yesterday that makes tarpaulins in Toowoomba. And he's been doing that for decades. And he uses polypropylene, not PVC and PET, uh, uh, polyester and polypropylene. Yeah. And for years, he's been sending his scrap and anything they reclaim down to Geelong for re-grinding down, and it gets used to coat the next ones he buys. Now, he's probably never even heard the term circular economy, but he's in it because yeah. it's common sense for business. Yeah. And so we've got this funny thing going on at the moment with people sort of shouting yep. about all this stuff and we've got this term circular economy. But there's loads of good people that are just doing it anyway. Yeah, sure. And that's just... You know, because he said, well, I, I don't use those other products because they're really difficult to recycle. So we use what we can recycle. Yeah. Um, and I love, I love that, that I feel like we're in an opportunity where we need those people. And I, I guess this is a little bit of what 17X events are all about, is to find those unsung heroes that are just doing it because it makes good business sense and put them on a stage and say, hey, look, if you're in business, it doesn't have to be all you know, all social enterprise or all um, all not-for-profit sector, it, it, it makes really good sense. I think Harvey Penney said it in Brisbane was, it makes good sense to do business good. You know, it, it works out. <laughs> so this is make it happen. And, and, and we, were, we literally met yesterday because we were talking about skills and future skills in the industry, which is hard with lots of really tiny businesses to take on trainees or apprentices and the whole yeah. industry skills. And yet everybody seems to go and do design degrees and not actually learn how to sew. So it's one of those challenges. But he takes on apprentices mm. and he says, well, I'm ahead of everyone else because I'll be the one with a skilled workforce in 10 years' time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> you know? Love yeah, it. But it. Yeah, so it's, you know, and I think, I think it's one of those other things as well with this space that people think it's all about fashion, but actually a lot of the opportunities are all the things that just deliver the food on our table and the healthcare products and... Mm all these commodities that we need to use anyway, if we think in terms of those, all of a sudden you've got businesses in megatons and there's so much opportunity. It's actually quite exciting. Yeah, sure. Well, um, we are getting close to the end of our time. Um, my, I guess the question for Full Circle 5 is, you know, what's, what's in the immediate future? What's 2020 look like for you guys? Where are you headed? Well, 2020 is uh, building on what we've done to date, which is our building our range of, fabrics that we can say yep they've all come from this one farm but also what's very exciting is collaboration to scope the trials to actually get the recycled content in because we don't often realize it in Australia but we've actually got a lot of talent and knowledge right under our nose and we've managed to cobble together a route to trial it um, mm -hmm. and once we do that we can build the feasibility model so that we can make a plan to scale and actually do that here well which is wow. exciting yeah yeah so, exciting. So when everybody, if, if it's just a virgin supply chain now, but what you're supporting is our march into being able to recycle as well. Yeah, terrific. That's, uh, it'll be interesting to see where you're at at the end of next year. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the challenges, and I will say this when you're in actual manufacturing, is people associate startups and scaling up at the speed that tech companies do, which is essentially, I might be a bit blunt and crude saying this, but a room full of people and laptops, which is relatively easy to do. 
But when it comes to manufacturing, you've got to do pilots, you've got to make plans, yeah. you've got to build infrastructure. It, scaling doesn't happen at the same speed. It, yeah, it, it's yeah, an yeah. thing. But once we create it, we create industries and jobs that are going to be around for decades. So yeah, that's right. That's, you know, that's what it's building that, <laughs> that early and that full infrastructure around you know, the, yeah. the, the business model itself. There's a lot of moving yeah, parts. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's epic. It's been awesome to hear more of your story. Um, obviously, you only got 17 minutes in Brisbane to tell us what you're up to on stage. <laughs> so uh, a little bit more time here. Um, if people want to connect with you and, and connect with Full Circle Fibers or, um, or yourself in general, how do they go about doing that? <clears throat> um, my website is fullcirclefibers.com. My Twitter is Full Circle Fiber and my Instagram is Full Circle Fibers and so is Facebook. Um, so you can find me in all those places and see what we're up to. And we have some products available for retail if you're somebody that just likes making things for yourself or get in touch with me if you're interested in wholesale and fabrics for things. Or uh, next year we'll be offering T-shirts for people who need merchandise and other items like that as well because people keep asking me for it. So I better do it, hey? So, uh, yeah, that's great because I want some um, sustainable 17X uh, T-shirts next well, year. Yeah. So um, we're, we're going to link up for that for sure. Thanks so much for your time. Brilliant, Mick. Thank you. Well, there we have it. Another podcast done and dusted. I trust you got inspired the same way I did. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening to so that you get our new episodes and updates. Uh, jump on and give us a review five stars one stars whatever it is as long as it's honest I'd love it and uh, if you know anyone that we should be interviewing for these podcasts we'd love to hear them so make sure you get in touch until then go and create some purpose in the world and enjoy great things